the podcast. I am so excited for our episode today. We are talking all things Title VI with Eileen Quintana. Eileen, will you introduce yourself to our listeners? Yes, my name is Eileen Quintana. I've been working with school district for about 26 years. And uh, I've always worked in Indian education. Started out with Martha and Argyle way back in the day. And uh, our district superintendent was Sorensen. And uh, we went forward. And I've had Jalen Jones as a boss and Mike Larson and now Alicia Rudd. So I have been here <laughs> Uh, for a, for a while, time. while. <laughs> yeah. Well, we're we're grateful you are. So, um, Eileen, tell us a little bit about uh, Title VI Indian Education. Okay, Title VI Indian Education is a federally funded program for every child that identifies themselves as Native American and is tribally enrolled. They uh, fill out a five hundred six form. And when that is completed, we send it in with our grant. And for every child that enrolls, we get about $200, a little bit over $200 that comes into our school district that funds the program. So in essence, way back a long time ago, historically, when the tribes gave up land resources, the tribal uh, entities went into a treaty contract with the United mm-hmm. States government. And in return for the land resources, the government said that they would take care of our children education-wise and health-wise. So this is one of the remaining uh, ways that a Native American actually can exercise their treaty rights. Wow, that is very yeah. interesting. I didn't Fantastic. know that. Yeah. Um, I was a principal for a while, and I knew that we had a Title VI program, but it wasn't until I got into this position and I came to one of your meetings that I was floored about all of the things that you do in Title VI. So tell us, back when you started, okay. what did our Title VI program look like, and what does it look like today? You know, I started out way back, I believe, in 98, and uh, at that time... I started working and finding out where all the families were. You know, to be able to work with the community, you need to know how many their their uh, students there are yeah. and all that information. I, being uh, myself, wanted to do it traditionally. <laughs> so the traditional way is to go door to door and actually meet the people. So I started going out in the wow. field and meeting that. the families and and uh, introducing myself, telling them about the Indian Ed program. And at that time, I believe there was about 65 around that range that we identified. And uh, as I went on, I started asking for what are the graduation rates? What are the test scores? And uh, where are they located? Are they concentrated in one school or is it throughout the district and it was in this door-to-door introduction that I found out it was throughout the district and the graduation rate at that time actually was 37 percent graduation for American Indians so 63 percent 
were dropping out. And I had my own children in our Indian ed. And that was very shocking and very scary to find that information out. And so we started thinking, well, why would they uh, drop out? So homework, I, I thought, okay, what can we do here? So I pulled together a lot of families that um, were there, and we started a homework lab. I love that you asked those questions. You, I mean, those initial questions, like, how are our, our Indian students performing? How are yeah. they performing in tests? What does graduation rates look like? And then knowing that we have a, we have a big problem. Yeah. And, and we, as educators, are doing a disservice to these students, and what can we do differently? So I love that first question was, all right, the homework was an issue. Yeah. Let's, let's create a homework lab. So, so how was that? How, was that so successful? what we did was we ended up getting some of the families together, and um, I uh, put together a place, which was the Young Parents School. Mm-hmm. Martha and Argyle worked over there, and she uh, made enough room for us to be able to hold homework labs on Tuesdays and Thursday evenings from uh, the time that school let out until 7 o'clock at night. Okay. And... Um, we, uh, I brought in my uh, kids, uh, Natasha, my oldest, and Cesario, my um, uh, son, came in, and they both know how to dance, they know how to sing, mm-hmm. they know how to do a lot of things traditionally, and I asked them to help me to work with the students, and so we started putting together a cultural lab and a homework wow. lab. I had the parents come in, and I asked the parents now, when you come in, I want you to, we're going to keep this traditionally, just like we do on uh, in our communities. Mm-hmm. We don't separate families. We have them work together. We don't separate into age groups. When I came out to this dominant society, that was shocking to me. So uh, when we do things in our own communities, the whole community is involved. That's so I powerful. wanted to keep that same flavor and everything. So the families, aunties, grandmas, uncles came in and they just started helping their children with their homework. And we had reading, we had um, homework time, we had uh, a cultural lab. We had a right away put together a performing arts group where they could use their language, their songs and all of that. And just started going at it. And um, about a year or so went, went by. And I found out that there was another teacher within the school district. Brenda Bial was uh, teaching at Reese. And uh, in the interactions with students and their work, we uh, came across each other and started talking. She had an amazing idea of starting uh, a summer school. And I told her the problems that we were facing. And uh, between her, Marthan, Argyle, and myself, we started kind of forming an idea program, components to the program. So the second year, we started the summer school. And uh, I think we only had less than 20 that actually showed up. And, uh, and then, but the next year, it grew. And uh, we kept on doing the Tuesdays and Thursdays and homework labs throughout the school year. We started gathering 
the families for socials at different times of the season and uh, just really try to uh, monitor grades and attendance and keep an eye on uh, the overall uh, results that we were seeing. And from there, the second year, we went to 40% graduation year. The third year, we went to 75% graduation rate. The fourth year, 94% graduation Gosh. rate. In four That's years, yeah. you were up 60 plus percent. Yeah. Wow. It was, it was a combination of a bunch of people, families that came together. We had several families that at that time we covered Nephi, our Indian ed, and they were the most passionate. They would drive up every Tuesday and Thursday from uh, Nephi, and they were the core group, which was amazing to wow. me that people would do that. And uh, it was just phenomenal, the results that we were getting. So you, you really just saw a need and said, we need to address this and, and jumped in. Yes. Yes, we did. I know, I know statewide because I hear this a lot at, at our meetings that, that really here in Nebo, we have the premier Indian education program in the state of Utah. And, you know, to me, I think that's incredible. I know everybody's always talking about the great things that are happening. What are some of the things that, that you're working on right now with these students? Oh, there's some fun things that are going on right now. We, uh, the beginning of the year, we decided that we wanted to do a camp out. We used to do it many years back where we would camp out before school came back and do a kind of gathering our families, do it more traditional where we offer a prayer to uh, the mountains to bless it, our children, our families to be able to proceed into the school year. And so we had a lot of families come. We camped out in Hobble Creek Canyon and uh, did our... Uh, eating together, our playing, our, we did some workshops on fishing and um, just played with our kids and made some good food and, and gathered and prayed and, and just, it was really a time just to connect and to let each other know that we are here and that we're a, an Indian Ed family. And uh, so, that went really, really well. We also did a um, several uh, projects with our Dream Starter. Um, Dream Starter program, I came across that back in 2017. Billy Mills, uh, the Olympian mm-hmm. um, runner, uh, he organized a company created a company called Running Strong for American Indian Youth, located out in Washington, D.C. Now it's uh, located in California. But he sent out an invitation to young Native youth who are working with their communities to come and do their project, whatever service learning project that they're doing, and he would give them $10,000 to do that work. Wow! And so... My daughter decided she wanted to do that, uh, Rose Quintana. She, at that time, I believe it was environmental, uh, advocating for the environment. 
And she had been working with Bears Ears Project at that time and the significance of what Bears Ears means to our indigenous people. And, uh, and it's all a sacred site for our people. Mm-hmm. And so she did her work and she was able to get that, did uh, an amazing job. And uh, he identifies 10 American Indian youth from across the United States and selects those 10 and gives them to, you know, the money to work their project for that year. Mm-hmm. So it's very, very rare to be able to get this, but we've had five dream starters wow. come wow. out of our program, our little program. Rosebud Quintana was the first one. Uh, Taylor Eddy did hers on agricultural careers, and we... She brought in two goats and our, our, uh, Indian Ed during the summer. We melt goats in the morning and, uh, the evening we raised chickens and they were two blocks from our school. And wow. it was, we made caramel. We made, uh, cheese. We made all kinds of stuff with goat milk at soap and all kinds of things. And then with Shakota Billy, her thing was on mental health and the indigenous view of holistic healing, mm-hmm. uh, emotional, spiritual, uh, physical, and um, mental health. And so she did that throughout the school district. Oh, did an amazing project gardening and uh, brought in a bunch of things. She started gardens with families, and this is something that has continued to this day. Alfredo Quintana did his on integrating more indigenous uh, information into the school curriculum. Oh, he did an amazing job. And then this year, we have Sarah Powell, who is our dream starter. And she's doing the Three Sister Garden. And we're raising gardens and uh, using produce. That's amazing. Every time I hear about our youth, I just get more and more impressed. Like We have incredible youth. And I love that we have dream starters and that they are getting funds to really push forward great initiatives and great projects that that really matter. So that, that is incredible. So how do we share Indian education information? And why, why is this something that we all need to know about? Why do our students in the district, why do, why do our um, employees, why do our parents, why is, this, why is this important? You know, we've been visiting elementary schools throughout the district the last um, month. And one of the things I always tell the students is, did you realize that on this continent that we call America, this whole North American continent, indigenous people have been living here 23,000 years. We know it's longer than that. Yeah. But that's archaeology has shown it to be 23,000 years. U.S. Uh, government has been here less than 600 years. 600 years. And throughout... Uh, Time, our indigenous communities have observed, have practiced, have 
so much traditional knowledge about this land that we call Utah, this mm-hmm. land that we call America. And we need to tell that story. We need to really be able to uh, amplify the voices of indigenous people. For one thing, if we don't speak up and do something, we've been taking care of this continent for 23,000 years. Within the 500 years of first contact with Europeans, pollution to the land, to the water, to the air has really, um, that's only within a few hundred years. And so we have a lot of um, solutions to today's problems. And so as indigenous people, I think we can solve a lot of problems if we just look back and really take a look. What is this land's narrative? What is the story of this valley? What is the story of uh, all this regional area that we can share to really include, be inclusive and uh, be mindful of all the community communities that have stewarded this land? I love that. Uh, you know, it's interesting. You hear a lot of people talk about the United States, and they say, well, our history doesn't go back that far. You go to Europe, and it goes back thousands of years, and, and what they're forgetting is the history here, it goes back just as far as anywhere else. Yes. We just don't often hear that story. That it, For it's some reason, it's been left out of, yeah. of the history books. It's been left out of you know the common narrative that we all share. So I think it's fantastic that, yeah. that you're sharing that. I always tell the students, um, American history, Utah history, begins with Indian history. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so um, that's kind of uh, where I'm at right now. And uh, I believe that this is something that can emp- empower, inspire Native Americans because we have brought so many contributions to global society. Mm-hmm. Um, if it were not for American Indians, there would not be a lot of the medicines that you see. You know, we knew that by chewing willow bark, you could reduce fever. You could uh, reduce pain. And uh, we knew that hundreds, most likely thousands of years back. Yeah. We had, um, you know, inventions go back uh, thousands of years, and you have cliff dwellings, the first apartment buildings. Mm-hmm. Rooms that could house thousands in the cliffs, cliff walls. And we did it in a way that was harmonious with the environment without damaging the environment. A lot of times you hear in books, especially older books, uh, our people are referred to as savages and primitive. And um, I have to bristle at that because uh, when you think about you know, some of the ways, and, you know, I love archaeology. And a lot of times they describe our people as wanderers, you know, uh, uh, and gatherers. We really actually did agricultural gardening in a way that is not known to uh, European people. Um, it's more 
like we did controlled fires on the plains. Controlled fires because we knew mm-hmm. if we controlled fire and did that, then the next year new sprouts would come up and new growth. It would be a fresh, healthy um, uh, environment for the animals. The bison would follow these. So we weren't really following the bison. The bison were following our lead in where we had fresh growth and we Mm -hmm. could control that. That's not acknowledged. And the ways that indigenous people did took care of water for gardening or uh, uh, settlements in certain areas, that's not acknowledged and credited to the uh, the brilliance of the people in right. being able to survive and thrive. Yeah, you're you're exactly right. I'm I'm a history junkie as well, and and love archaeology. And you go to some of these archaeological sites that are today in the middle of the desert. Yeah, and and you know very hostile places, and you're thinking, wow, they built not just small societies, but they built very large societies yes. with full blown irrigation systems and yeah. and farming and they in and in fact they they're, they're the beginnings of a lot of the crops that are used worldwide I, I don't think a lot of people even understand that potatoes which we, we sometimes think or associate with europe and europeans yeah. they actually started here yeah uh and and you know we all know corn and and squash and beans and all those things that have become such staples in our our diets yes they really originated here yes in fact 62 percent of what the world eats comes out of um our uh what we shared with the world Mm -hmm. so being corn and squash you know you look at that so many varieties and and language you know you look at many of the words that we say today you're actually speaking a tribal language when you say, um, when you say moccasin, when you say Utah, mm-hmm. when you say Uinta, when you say Duchesne. You know, all those are words that are in tribal languages, and you don't realize how much has been adopted into our everyday language. Right. Yeah. So, I love caring about this. I love learning more and and knowing that. Some of this has been lost, but I'm glad that we have someone like you heading our Indian education program so that we're not going to lose these stories. We're not going to lose this history. But have you found with our um, Native American students that maybe they also didn't know this? And as you were teaching them and as they're learning that they are becoming a little bit more um, pride, having more pride in where they came from and, and who they are. Because now that they're they're learning this knowledge, yes, um, that's one of the things that I'm I've always seen is that the young ones do not know the beauty of their own tribal teachings and how much it's contributed to society. You know, when you look at the historical experience of indigenous people. Um, there's a reason why they don't know. It isn't their fault. Um, we uh, put my generation, um, grandmas and grandpas, I'm a grandma. And um, when I was young, my very first educational experience 
was the boarding school way back in time when uh, the U.S. government was really trying to uh, expand and get more land. Land and natural resources has always been the most important thing to um, non-Native people when they set foot on this continent. Mm -hmm. And so in pushing Indigenous people from the East further west, further west, and then finally putting them on reservations uh, so that they could have more access to these lands and natural resources. Uh, A part of this experience was uh, to assimilate the Indian. Uh, There was a man uh, many years back, Carlisle Boarding School. Uh, It was a strategy used to, his motto was, Kill the Indian, save the man. Which means anything that looks Indian, you need to get rid of. And uh, so a lot of my generation were put into boarding schools to make us stop talking our language, to make us forget our ways of belief, to assimilate and become more white so that in uh, this experience, we would let go of the old ways of trying to hang on to the lands that we still have. And that was a, uh, you know, I was separated at the age of five, six. Wow. And I was put in a boarding school. My hair was cut the very first time I was ever stripped of clothes in that, in the boarding school. And there were 30 of us or so, little girls, and we're all scared. And uh, they cut our hair just below our ears with bangs, and uh, they de-liced us. We didn't know what the white powder was. They combed our hair. They shooed us into uh, uh, bathrooms and showered us, and then we came out, and we all wore the same uniform, the same clothes, anything... My uh, new Navajo skirt and my new Navajo shirt that my mother had sewn together was thrown into a garbage can with my foot, two feet long hair that Uh. had been cut off into the garbage can. That was my first educational experience. And it happened in on Navajo Reservation. But this is common. This is common for indigenous communities and so i did maybe that's what fires that's definitely what fuels your passion absolutely is your is your past i did not want you know i was punished in the boarding school i was punished for speaking my language and uh, it was my very first introduction to knowing what corporal punishment was or uh, any kind of discipline because in traditional ways were never hit mm-hmm. in my family we were taught to and that's the way of teaching and disciplining and uh, so that experience really stuck oh, yes really. that had to be a traumatic experience for a, a young child to go through i can't even fathom that many uh, people at my boarding school was close to home Many indigenous people had their boarding school hundreds of miles away from home. Many of them tried to run away 
and in the process froze to death or died from oh. hunger, the children. And there were hundreds, I would say thousands, actually, that never made a home. And we just actually oh, recently terrible. celebrated and did a, a memorial uh, celebration called Orange Shirt Day with um, Utah Education Network mm-hmm. up in Riverton to draw attention to that episode in history that a lot of people don't know about. Yeah. I had no idea. Wow, I didn't either. Yeah, I I appreciate you sharing that because that's not easy. No, those are things that you think happened 100, 200 years ago, not years ago. Not recently. No, it's it wow. really, when you think of um, you know here, a lot of people don't realize this. It was in nineteen twenty four when we were actually allowed to become citizens of the United States. Here in America, it was in uh, the 1950s here in Utah that Indians were allowed to vote. It was in 1978 that Indians could finally practice their religion. Um, Freedom of Religion Act for American Indians, 1978. Wow. So when you're facing these these obstacles, these uh, this misunderstanding, this um, actually racism. Mm-hmm. If you want to be quite honest, it is racism uh, to the core. When you face that, you you want to do something about it, and a way to do something about it is knowledge. We're educators, mm-hmm. so what better way? to uh, eliminate some of these barriers than to educate our community. I love my Nebo family. I have always had amazing people around me. Jay Lynn, Marthan, Mike Larson, uh, 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 all the superintendents have been very powerful advocates for our Indian mm-hmm. ed. That's what we need today is powerful allies to change the narrative and to change the way that we teach uh, minority. Because in a public school curriculum, you're taking information that is geared towards the average Caucasian child. Mm -hmm. You're not looking at uh, Hispanic, Black, and Indigenous uh, Polynesian uh, narratives. So. We need to change that. We need to look at the beauty in everyone. The world is such an amazing place. It's exciting to learn new things. I've had to learn a new language. I've had to learn a new way of looking at life. I I wish other people would do the same thing because it just makes your whole world just vibrate. (laughs) I agree, and I love that you said, there is beauty in, in really, there's beauty in our differences. Yes. And when we can recognize that, the world does become bigger and more great. Oh, we really can celebrate no. each other. And um, I love I love that this passion radiates throughout our entire district. So yes. I, yep. I appreciate that you have taken our Indian education program from where it was 20 plus years ago to where it is today. 
and I know that you're not stopping. You are like a little energizer bunny that keeps going and keeps going, and you have these Absolutely. amazing ideas. And I know you have an amazing team, um, but we appreciate all that you do for for Indian education and our students here in Nebo. You know, I want to say that a lot of credit is given to me, but it, it's not just me. It would not work without our families and their passion in helping their children. It would not work without the students really working hard. It would not work if it were not, if they didn't have an Annalisa, uh, Allison, a Shoshana Begay, a Natalie Billy, a Kelly Cabrero, and Alicia Rudd working on a daily basis to really have that support network in place. Yep, I think it's it's amazing, and I think it's it's not even just for uh, the American Indian community, but but I think that pours over into all of our underrepresented populations, all yes. of our students that feel like, well, I don't fit in, I don't quite fit the mold that I see around me. I I have a daughter that uh, you know she's mixed race, and my youngest daughter, and she's always kind of felt that way. She's felt like, well, I don't necessarily fit in with the Caucasian population. I don't necessarily fit in with any of these other groups, but I think with, you know, some of the things that are happening throughout the district where uh, we are talking about everyone is important. Everyone yes. has a story to tell and and we want to accept everyone. I think that helps all of our students and and we so much appreciate the job that that you and your group have done. You know, if you want to learn more, we have a website in Nebo School District's um, uh, website under federal programs. Our Indian Ed is the link is there, and we do um, a lot of socials. We have a big powwow. I would love mm -hmm. to have all of Nebo support our powwow in the summertime. We do Camp Eagle Summer School during the month of June, and. Uh, we do storytelling in the wintertime. Please let us know how we can help you and how we can uh, share more of these um, stories and and just an intermingling with our students. Absolutely. Yeah. Before we ask our last question, okay. and we ask this to every guest that we have, I did want to ask, you have an event coming up, correct? We have Not Any Day. Yes. Yes. That's the one. Not Any Day is going to be coming up, and this is something that we do every um, uh, beginning of school year. We invite all American Indian students, Hispanic students, black students, uh, Polynesian students, anybody that wants to come to come at, to an inspiring motivational talk and we have all the college representatives from across the state that come in and talk about opportunities for higher learning and how to be able to fund that, how to be able to get in on that opportunity, <laughs> and uh, we're doing it. So, so when and yeah, where is that event? Okay, so the 26th of uh, October is when we're doing uh, Not On A Day. We're going to have um, buses for all the high schools and junior highs. It's for ninth through 12th grade students, and uh, we want to have them bust in 
and have them at the district PLC building to listen to these talks. We'll feed them. We want to invite two uh, counselors or admin uh, to come in with them and be able to share in this experience. That sounds like an amazing experience for those students. Yes. I think it's going to go really, really well. I agree. Okay, Eileen. So we have a question that we like to ask all of our guests on the podcast, and we ask them the same question. And that question is, what three words or phrases would you like people to use when talking about Nebo School District? Um, I would like people to know about Nebo School District. They're uh, the beauty of all the people here, the beauty of the area that we live in. We live in such a beautiful place here. Our cultural, um, agricultural, uh, to how important that is to our families, mm-hmm. uh, and the hunting and all of the, the jobs that we have. You feel that unitedness. I love all the city, uh, uh, festivities that we do. The celebrations that we have, there is nothing like small town, but still building. Sometimes we may not want it to grow any bigger, but (laughs) but Nebo School District has been home to our family, to my husband's family, who's Northern Ute, thousands of years in this valley. So it really has a significance. He has stories in his family of things that took place up canyons. And so it really, I would say just the feel, the flavor of our community and being united and being really helpful. I don't think there's another place in the world. I choose to believe that we have very helpful, friendly people. And that's the way I see my unity. I love that. Thank you. Eileen, thank you so much for spending some time with us this morning. We really appreciate learning more about our Title VI program here in Nebo and more about you. So thank you. Okay. Thank you for having me. Thank you. We have another special guest today on the podcast. This is Annalisa Allison. Annalisa, thank you so much for coming. Yes, thank you for having me. Will you tell our listeners about yourself? Yes. So I've been working with the district for about nine years. I started out at Springville Junior High um, teaching eighth grade health. And then um, about, I would say, six or seven years ago, I started working with the Title VI program. Awesome. And I know you have a past with Title VI. You grew up in Nebo. Yes, I did. Tell us about your experience here in Nebo. Yes. So I am from the Navajo and Sioux tribe. So when I was a very young girl, um, my mother actually brought me into the Title VI program to participate Mm -hmm. in um, events and after school lab because... um, I'm considered like an urban Native American where I grew up outside of the reservation. So I wasn't exposed to the culture as much. Mm -hmm. So it was really important for my mom to expose me to the culture and also to allow me to meet other Native Americans within the community. 
I love that your mom did that because you probably wouldn't know much about your culture had your mom not really immersed you in that program to, to learn more. Yes, yes. And um, Eileen, that this was back um, 25 plus years ago, Eileen actually would go door to door and she would find the Native yeah. American students. She told us about that. Yes, yeah. and she um, came across my mom and my mom served on the parent committee and different events and volunteered and so it was just a really great experience and even back then Eileen's children were teaching us the culture Mm -hmm. and activities so it was great. I love that. And and did that play a big part in you joining the the program on the other end as so uh, so I would say um, possibly. I'm not sure what went into like the hiring process or anything, mm-hmm. um, but I have participated in Title VI, like I said, as a young child. Then um, once I got older into high school, started playing more sports, but I, would, I wasn't there regularly, but then I would come to summer school. Like summer school was what was amazing because all of the students from Nebo School District came together and that's where I met a lot of my really good friends that I even have still today. So mm-hmm. um, I would go to summer school. And then once I went to college, I would volunteer every once in a while. Um, and then when I saw the opening, when I was a teacher, I was like, oh, I'm definitely going to apply. <laughs> yes. So you've really been involved on and off for, for yes. quite a while. Yes. Yeah. So I would say um, almost majority of my life wow. I've been involved with Title VI. That is amazing. So tell us what you do in the Title VI program, because your role is really important to our students. Yes. So specifically my role within the program, I work with all of the Native American students. So within our program, we have students who are enrolled in our program with their 506 form. Mm -hmm. So they have... um, they have documentation that they are from a federal tribe. But then we also service students who are self-identified. So at registration, where they say they are Native American, we service those students as well. So I am in and out of all of the high schools here in Nebo School District. Even we service Landmark as well. Um, And I go in and I talk with counselors. I talk with teachers. I kind of establish what is this individual's graduation plan and it's going to vary from student to student so some students it's more of I'm giving them information about tribal scholarships or FAFSA or the next um, application date for like BYU or UVU because they're local mm-hmm. um, others it might be I'm going into their study skills class and I'm sitting with them I'm working on assignments with them Um, others it might just be um, inviting them into after school lab and working on homework and recovery credit with them so it kind of varies from situation to situation Um, 
But there was a year, a few years ago, we had a student um, whose parents were a little uncomfortable talking to administrators and counselors Mm -hmm. just because they felt like they didn't they couldn't communicate there. There was a misunderstanding most of the time. So I kind of played um, just an ally, like an advocate for that student. So I went to all the meetings with the parents and then we eventually got her trans. She was she was very deficient in credit. So we got her transferred to Landmark, which is an amazing school. They yes. have so. Yes. yes, they have so much support. Um, we got her there and there's a technician there named um Jana and she is so amazing. She, Shout out yes. to yeah. Jana Manukin. Yes, she is amazing and she just helped um, this student and she, and I would come in. I think at that time I was coming in three times a week, but Jana was always there. So um, anyways, she ended up graduating and it was a really that's big awesome. yeah, a really big celebration for her family. So that's another part of my job too is connecting the seniors with resources at their school because sometimes Mm -hmm. they may be scared to ask or maybe they just don't know and so I'm kind of the advocate like these are things you can do here at your school like math math lab or you know those different things to kind of help the kids understand we sometimes call it how to play school right because it's a completely different situation than some of those kids have been involved that is so true so you're involved in every aspect of that from helping them with their their classroom work to preparing them for lives after school yes exactly that's that's fantastic yes and so it's been quite a journey we about i think in 2017 we had 15 native american seniors but this year we have over 40 so it's yeah it's increased so we're super excited that is awesome and i we talk a lot in education about meeting students where they are and I feel like your position especially you are meeting every senior where they are and you are Mm -hmm. giving them what they need whether that is sitting down and helping with homework or whether that is just saying hey you have an application that's due next week make sure you get it in so whatever they need you're there to there to help yes and I'm truly an advocate and so are the other title six staff members as well because um, how we're split up is we um, are responsible for different areas in Nebo School District. So there's a Title VI staff member who does a Native Club every month, and that's another way that we connect with the students and just make sure they're getting the culture aspect, but then inviting them to the different activities that we have. That's so awesome. So I don't know if you know these numbers, but I know that our graduation rate has increased significantly, um, but I don't know. I don't know the history, so I don't know if you know when you were a student um, what it looked like and or what it's like today. But tell us kind of a little bit about the history of where our Native American students were with graduation in the past and where we are now. Yes. So about twenty five years ago, 
um, Eileen started her position within the Title VI program. And what she noticed is that there was only 37% graduation rate with Native American students. So, of course, she wanted to change that. So she implemented the after-school lab, and we started to see an increase in graduation rate because these students had a place where they were welcomed, they were belonged, and the parents actually play a really big role within Native culture, and the parents felt like they had a place to come and help the kids, too. So early, early on, the after-school lab was run and there was really high parent involvement. I remember as a little girl, I would see community members even um, coming into after school lab and helping students with their homework. So um, there's been so many parents who have contributed countless hours to this program. So early on, it was parents and volunteers helping with after school homework. And then um, around 2016, Jalen Jones, he was the former director of federal programs. He started to notice how well the program was working and how well we were collaborating with counselors and teachers. And so he actually made a goal for us. And he said that there's no reason that all of our seniors can't graduate. There's no reason we shouldn't have 100% graduation rate. So in 2006, he made that goal. And since then, we've actually reached 100% four times. Wow. Yes. That's amazing. Yes, it was amazing. And we haven't fallen under 90% graduation rate. So this statistic comes from students who are registered and they are in the Title VI program. Mm-hmm. So that's not including like the self-identified. But those that are coming to After School Lab and they're coming to our events and that we're working with within the school systems, those are the students that are graduating. It's, it's really making a difference. I know I, I attend a lot of meetings around the state, and I was I was telling Eileen this when we um, talked with her, but Nebo is kind of known as, as like the flagship program in the state. It really is looked at as uh, the program, I think, that does the best job in working with these students. And I think that's that's a lot because of, of people like yourself. And you, you can tell that you have a passion for that and, and that you really want all of those those kids to be successful. So Yes. We, as collectively, as a Title VI staff, we really love these students. We want them to be the best that they can be, and we genuinely love them. So I've, I've done a little bit of work in the past, uh, volunteer work with uh, American Indian Services, and, and they do a lot with, with helping to provide scholarships and, and different things. But in your role, I know you don't track this information, but what successes have you seen with uh, some of our students after they've left high school to, to enter the real world, either for um, academics or for work or any of the other multitude of, of things that they might have gone into? Awesome. Yes. So we've had actually a lot of success stories from the Nebo Title VI program. Um, We've had a student who has gone on to become a counselor at a junior high school. Um, We've had a student who works at an organization called Sacred Circles, and they provide dental and health 
health care for Native Americans. And she is actually a psychologist over there now. Wow. Yes. And then um, Eileen's son also works at Sacred Circles as well. And he is a counselor over there. And one of our students um, works at UVU. And they are the... Um, cultural slash financial advisor for the Native American students at UVU. And we've had um, students go on to be like graphic designers. We've had students go on to um, go on to do like MTech or technical schools. Um, we've had students who have gone on missions and then they've come back and they've continued school at either BYU, UVU, or the U of U. And um, last year we had a student who um, he was college bound and he got several scholarships to play basketball. And he He's deferring it right now, so he's going to go on a mission. But when he gets back, he's committed to the U. So wow. we have some fun go and Utes. success. Yeah, right. yeah, lots of success stories. <laughs> that has got That's to exciting. make you feel so good about the work that you guys are doing. Yes, it feels so good, and um, I can even say that these students going through this program, they find um, their they find a way to belong in society and they remember their culture. Mm -hmm. And I've talked to these students later on after they've graduated and they've said they've loved their experience with NEBO and also with the Title VI program. I love that. All right, Anna, one last question. We ask all of our guests the same question and it is, what three words or phrases would you want people to use when describing Nebo School District. So maybe culture creates resiliency. Ooh. Oh, I like that. That I is like that good. Yeah. That is really good. I'm going to remember that one. Culture creates resiliency. I love that. Well, Annalisa, thank you so much yes. for coming and visiting with us today and being on the podcast. I am really excited for our listeners to hear this episode because there is a lot of gold nuggets in here. Thank yes. you. Thank you guys for having me. 